Welcome to the debut edition of Our Creator Calls. I am very excited to finally be launching this podcast, which I've been wanting to do for close to 20 years. My name's Gaetan, and I hope you'll join me every Sunday to seek answers to one of the most important questions you could ever ask. What's getting in the way of me getting closer to God? We all have a different answer to that question because we've all had unique life journeys. It took me a long time to even ask the question. For this first episode, I thought it would be good for you to know where I'm coming from. So I'm going to share my story, how I discovered what was getting in the way of me getting closer to God, and how our Creator called me out of my wilderness. A voice, a voice calling in your wilderness. Every week, I'm going to interview different people to explore various stumbling blocks that could be preventing us from getting closer to our Creator. He wants us to know Him personally. Just the idea that we have a Creator or that He wants you to know Him personally could be a major stumbling block. Other blocks could be what's getting in the way of discovering and fulfilling my calling in life, from experiencing loving relationships with my spouse and family, and from being free of fear and anxiety. Every human being is made in the image of our Creator, so you can be sure that whatever stumbling block you're dealing with, it's based on a lie or a deception to keep you from being truly free and living your calling. There's a lot more going on around you than what you experience with your five physical senses. As I discovered during my journey, unseen forces of darkness are engaged 24-7 in an intense spiritual battle to prevent as many of us as possible from knowing our Creator, who is a source of eternal life. We are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. The primary battleground is in our mind. Unbelief and false ideas are key stumbling blocks that prevent countless people throughout the nations from getting closer to God. I used to be one of them. Then, on August 23, 1996, this captive was set free and radically transformed after encountering the resurrected Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. By the power of his Holy Spirit, Jesus freed me from the occult, which almost destroyed my life. My seduction to seek hidden knowledge began with a magic eight ball, which I received as a birthday gift when I was a young child. Even now, it's promoted as a novelty toy that has all the answers to your deepest questions and is the fastest way to seek advice. To me, the magic eight ball was just a fun toy like the ad said. I had no idea that it was actually a divination tool. I didn't even know what divination was. My next experiment with occult knowledge involved the Ouija board, which since 1891 has promised to link between the known and the unknown, the material and immaterial. According to the ads, all you had to do was just ask it a question and wait to see the answer the mystifying oracle will reveal to you. 
Through this so-called wonderful talking board, I engaged with a spiritual force that was clearly present and frightening, yet also very seductive. Through these activities, which seemed harmless on the surface, they revealed the reality of the paranormal and ignited a curiosity inside of me to experience the supernatural. I was unknowingly opening myself up to wicked spirits of darkness that kept me captive for many years to come until finally I met the only one who had the power to set me free. Growing up in a French-Canadian Catholic home, I never doubted the existence of a creator. As a child, I loved singing that song about how God holds the whole world in his hands. I believed in the Jesus Christ that I heard about in the Roman Catholic Church and the Catholic schools I attended during my childhood. But even though I sang songs about Jesus and heard scripture verses about him, I didn't know anybody at church, at school, or in my family even, who actually read the Bible or seemed to really know this Jesus. It didn't seem possible to know him when the first thing you saw in our church was a huge statue on the front wall behind the altar of Jesus dead on a cross. I often wondered, how can you know someone who's dead? And if Jesus was actually real, why couldn't I talk to him directly instead of through a priest? There were so many questions that nobody seemed to know how to answer. Later in my teen years, I tried to find answers by expanding my mind with hallucinogenic drugs like LSD and peyote and magic mushrooms. But instead of answers, my mind-altering experiences made me even more vulnerable to being deceived by spiritual forces of darkness. By the time I was 19, I no longer even wanted to go to church. There was just too much hypocrisy all around me. So for the next six years, I decided to go the secular route and forget about religion altogether. I graduated from college and then I got my first job in 1983 as an on-air announcer and a reporter with CBC Radio in Inuvik, Northwest Territories. That's where I worked for three years. I loved working in radio because it's such a personal way to connect with people. I also really enjoyed living in the Canadian Arctic, even though it went down to minus 40 for six months of the year, and we had absolutely no sun at all for a full month in December. Actually, we had 20 minutes of twilight every day. In the summer of 1985, I visited Vancouver with some friends for a couple of weeks. During that trip, I spent a lot of time on the beach in the city's West End. And one beautiful day, while I was taking a long walk along West Broadway, I was drawn into a New Age bookstore. I can spend hours in bookstores, but this store was unlike any I'd ever been in before. I was captivated by the wide selection of esoteric and metaphysical titles. I bought some books and immersed myself in them. There was a deep spiritual void inside of me that I was trying to fill with these occult books. But instead of bringing me enlightenment, they were luring me deeper into demonic deception. In May 1986, at the age of 24, I got a job with CBC Edmonton and was excited about my broadcasting career. It seemed to be on the rise. The excited anticipation I felt, though, when I arrived in Edmonton, eroded into disillusionment 
when I soon realized that I no longer had the creative freedom I'd enjoyed in Inuvik, where I'd thrived. Instead, I was forced to fit into a box of what I could and could not do. Added to that was mismanagement. The toxic environment was later described to me as a black hole. As I sank deeper and deeper into depression, I was very vulnerable to that blackness. It threatened to consume me. Later that fall, a co-worker invited me to come with her to a yoga class. Back then, yoga was not on every street corner like it is now. It was obscure. There were very few practitioners. So like most people, I knew nothing about it. My colleague said doing yoga would help relieve the stress and the anxiety I was feeling. Desperate, I accepted her invitation with the hope that trying something different and meeting new people would stall the onslaught of depression. As I would soon discover, the blackness that I had experienced through depression didn't even compare to the darkness that nearly destroyed me through my involvement with yoga. Yogis themselves describe yoga as a missionary arm of Hinduism and New Age spirituality. You can't separate the practice of yoga from the Hindu religion. If you don't believe me, please consider this quote taken from an open letter to evangelicals written by Swami Palani. It was published in Hinduism Today more than 30 years ago, just four years after I attended my first yoga class in January 1987. A small army of yoga missionaries, Hatha, Raja, Siddha, and Kundalini, beautifully trained in the last 10 years, is about to set upon the Western world. They may not call themselves Hindu, but Hindus know where yoga came from and where it goes. Oblivious to any of that, I went to my first yoga class, which was filled with other professionals. As I was soon to discover, this class was teaching Raja Yoga, which is deemed to be a royal path or a principal form of yoga. In Sanskrit, the primary sacred language of Hinduism, Raja means king or royal and refers to both the goal of yoga, self-realization, and the way to attain it. Raja Yoga focuses on both mind and body control through meditation and movements, and it involves the physical, mental, and spiritual dimensions of reality. When those teachers learned that I had known nothing about yoga before discovering the royal path of Raja Yoga, they told me I was a chosen one, and in my pride, I eagerly believed them. Within a couple of months, I was dressing only in white, and had become a strict vegetarian. I went to the yoga center every morning at six o'clock before work. During these early morning sessions, I listened to recorded teachings, which I was told had been spoken by who they called the Supreme Soul through a medium. I prayed to this Supreme Soul, which I thought was God, but it was actually a powerful demonic spirit. Every day, I worked through the various Raja Yoga mind and body practices. I was trying to transcend any identification with my body, mind, and intellect because I wanted to reach that enlightened state of consciousness they were talking about. I was trying to experience my true self. And that's exactly what happened. I soon began to disconnect from the world, from my thoughts, from me. 
I remember looking at a photo of myself that had been taken just a few years earlier and feeling like I was being torn apart. I was losing myself. As I was losing my identity, the demonic spirit that I spent hours listening to during our daily study sessions gained control of my life. During this period, a friend told me that my countenance was creepy like a snake. I shudder to think about what I must have looked like. As I write about this experience, it's like I'm referring to another person, and in a way, I am. The deeper I advanced in the Raja Yoga teaching and practice, the more I lost my own identity. I was one day away from moving into a yoga commune when God intervened in my life. He led my former partner to find the cult's book of instruction, which I had just brought home for the first time. The book outlined the stages of advancement in the cult and paralleled the successive changes in my life since that first yoga class. Fortunately, he was a speed reader, so he was able to quickly discern where I was in the process. For more than 10 hours, he tried to get me to feel emotion, any emotion. In my quest to transcend any identification with my own identity and to reach an enlightened state of consciousness, I had almost detached from any human feeling. That is very disturbing to think about because I'm naturally a deeply emotional and empathic person. Yet after about six months of practicing Raja Yoga, I had become robotic. Gaitan was almost gone. It seemed hopeless when finally I cried. Just a tear, just a few tears, that was it. But by that point, I was so exhausted, I went to sleep. The spell over me was fully broken a few days later after I ate a big steak to end my vegetarianism. Shortly after, I went to see a mind control and cult expert at an Alliance church, and he was amazed I'd been in so deep and was able to get out so quickly. He'd known other people who had not been as as deep as I was, and yet they were still in bondage to this yoga cult. Given what I'd been through, though, I found it interesting that he never asked me if I'd like to know Jesus. He did ask if I wanted to join their church, but the last thing I wanted was to be part of another religion. For the next two years, I stayed as far away as possible from any form of spirituality. Then, when I was least expecting it, my life dramatically shifted. 1989 was a dramatic year of revolution around the world. One could argue that no other year in recent memory has played a more pivotal role in shaping the world we live in today. Suddenly it seemed as if people everywhere were protesting against tyranny and demanding to be free. I remember seeing one brave student protester standing his ground in the face of oncoming tanks in Tiananmen Square. Apartheid was dismantled in South Africa, and Soviet leader Mikhail Gorbachev's new policies led to the end of the Cold War, the collapse of the Berlin Wall, and the division that had scarred Europe since the end of World War II. 1989 was also the beginning of the digital age, with the debut of the World Wide Web, the first modern GPS satellites, and Game Boy, a forerunner of the cell phone. Although most people didn't even know it then, 
the iconic events of 1989 transformed life globally in radical ways and led to future changes few could have even imagined. The same was true for me personally. 1989 was a year when nothing would ever be the same again. That summer, one of my closest childhood friends died in a car accident while I was driving across the country from Edmonton to the Ottawa Valley to visit my family. I'd been looking forward to seeing my friend. It was a sad time, and I had a lot of questions about what happens after you die. A short time later, I was browsing through a bookstore, a regular one this time, I quickly bypassed the esoteric and occult titles and found myself standing directly in front of a bunch of Bibles. Even though I'd gone to Catholic Mass every week as a child and right through until my late teens, I'd never read a Bible or even touched one before. There were so many to choose from. Were they all the same? Hopefully, I chose a black soft cover. It was called the Student Bible, New International Version. I had no idea what that meant, but I love learning, so it seemed to fit. Instinctively, I turned to the back of the book. I had long made a habit of reading the summary of a book before I read it to make sure if it was worth my time and effort. Surprisingly, there was no summary. So I flipped to what I thought was the last chapter, and I was intrigued to find that it was called Revelation. I started reading. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us, and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and has made us to be a kingdom and priests, to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him even those who pierced him, and all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. A bit further down in that first chapter of Revelation, John says, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. 
When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. It's been almost 34 years since I first read those awesome words, and I'll never forget how I felt. I was filled with wonder and amazement. After all I'd been through, I had actually found a letter from Jesus Christ. He could definitely answer my questions about death and what happens after death, because he's been through it. He was dead, and now he's alive, and he holds the keys of death. Excited and intrigued, I quickly bought the Bible. I was so eager to discover what else Jesus had revealed in his letter. As I left that store, the third line in the letter reverberated in my mind. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what's written in it, because the time is near. In early 1990, I moved back to eastern Ontario and began managing the newsroom at a small chum radio station near my hometown. As I continued to read the Revelation, it became clear to me that the nations of the world were merging together and would soon accept a false Christ before the second coming of the real Jesus. At the same time, I sensed a spiritual battle waging all around me. It was as if the forces of darkness were working overtime, trying to lure me back into occult spirituality. New Age teachings were becoming mainstream back then, and they were beginning to captivate my mind once again. In early 1996, my marriage fell apart, so I decided to get away on a five-week trip with a friend to Bali and Thailand, and that's where I embraced New Age philosophies once again. When I returned, I plunged further into my radio broadcasting career, but nothing could fill that empty void deep inside of me. Then at 8 in the morning on August 23, 1996, Jesus revealed himself to me. I was at the gym working out when I heard a voice say, Call Kevin. There was no doubt that God was speaking to me, and I knew I had to obey. So I called Kevin, a Youth for Christ pastor I'd interviewed before. A half hour later, I walked into Kevin's office. I was wearing two amulets. I had silver rings in my ears and on every finger, and I had a shaman's bracelet in the shape of a snake on my left arm. I'd bought that during my recent trip to Bali. Kevin took one look at me and said, You look really cult-like. Immediately, I was struck by the immensity of my sin. I knew in that moment that I desperately needed the blood of Jesus Christ to cover me with His righteousness. Kevin prayed with me as I surrendered my life to Jesus. The truth I'd been seeking since I was a child had revealed himself to me finally. Kevin was leaving that day on a vacation with his family, so he called his friend Linda, who invited me to their home church gathering that night. I accepted the invitation. But after working all day in a negative secular newsroom, I didn't feel like meeting a bunch of Christians I didn't know. I was starting to question what I had experienced that morning. I didn't feel any different, 
So did anything even happen? It all seemed so surreal. Despite my growing disbelief, I felt compelled to drive to the address where the home church was meeting, but it was a real struggle the whole way there. When I arrived about 10 minutes later, I decided not to go in, and I tried to drive past the place, but then a powerful force like a big hand stopped me. God made it very clear that he wanted me to stop and obey. So I parked, and I knocked on the door. During that church gathering, I experienced true worship for the first time. I sensed a beautiful peace I'd never known before. After the meeting, Linda prayed with me, and I threw all of my jewelry into the fireplace, including the ambulance, the shaman's bracelet, and the rings. When I asked God if my figure eight ring needed to go, I had put it on my wedding finger. It broke in half on my finger. The figure eight represents infinity. God was showing me very clearly that only he is eternal. I've been following Jesus wherever he leads ever since that day, and I've never looked back. Although I stopped working for the Legacy Media many years ago, Jesus knew I would eventually launch a podcast, which I've been wanting to do for almost 20 years. And it amazes me to think that he also knew I would launch Our Creator Calls on the day that Christians celebrate his resurrection. Now through Jesus, each one of us can be reconnected to the source of eternal life. Our creator, Yahweh, has always wanted human beings to be a part of his family and to spread his love, his life, and his truth throughout the earth. After he created the first man and woman, he only set one boundary. They needed to trust him about what is good and what is evil. He wanted to protect his new human family from believing lies that would lead them into bondage and cause a separation between them. Adam and Eve were seduced by the serpent, who promised they could be like gods and have hidden knowledge, if they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Our Creator is the only omniscient one, and the only one able to truly discern what is good from what is evil. He warned them that if they ate from that tree, they would surely die, because in so doing, they would separate themselves from His holy presence. Sadly, instead of believing the truth, the first human beings chose to believe a lie. By making that choice, they lost the authority Yahweh had given them to steward the earth as His representatives. And so it continues. Because of their rebellion, Adam and Eve could no longer be in Yahweh's holy presence. The consequence of their sin was death because they were no longer connected with the source of eternal life. Yahweh knew from the beginning that human beings would choose to go our own way, just like children who don't listen to warnings from their parents and make unhealthy choices. Our Creator has always had a way for us to come back into relationship with Him. That's why He came to earth as a human being, His only begotten Son, God, with us. Jesus, in Hebrew, is Yeshua, 
which means Yahweh's salvation. It boggles my mind to think about it. Our most high and almighty creator loved us so much that he willingly allowed his eternal Holy Spirit to be confined into a physical body of flesh and bone. When Jesus walked the earth as a human being, he was tempted and had the same freedom to disobey his father that we all have, yet he never sinned. He's the only person who's never sinned. When he died on the cross, he gave his life as a perfect sacrifice. It is finished. Jesus declared those three powerful words with his final dying breath. At that very moment, the veil in the temple that concealed the most holy place where Yahweh's presence dwelled was torn from top to bottom. Through Jesus and his righteousness, we can now enter freely into the holy presence of Almighty God. Our Creator's Holy Spirit no longer lives in temples made by human hands. He now takes up residence in the lives of those of us who freely choose to follow Him. Through Jesus, every single human being can be connected to the source of eternal life. We can have a personal relationship with our loving Creator Yahweh and not die in His holy presence because Jesus covers us with His perfect righteousness. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Believing that statement is the greatest stumbling block for each one of us. When I decided that it was true, my life was forever changed. Jesus rescued me out of the kingdom of darkness and delivered me into the kingdom of his glorious light. He set me free from sin and death and gave me the gift of eternal life. As I look back over the 34 years until the day I met Jesus, I can see that he was always with me. As I searched for truth, as a child using the magic eight ball and the Ouija board, as a teenager taking hallucinogenic drugs trying to find hidden knowledge, when I was living the secular life, when I was lost in the new age and trapped in the yoga cult. My hope is that through this podcast, you'll discover what's getting in the way of you getting closer to God. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Thanks so much for spending this time with me and hearing my story. There are so many other stories for us to hear, so I hope you'll join me every Sunday. Until then, our Creator calls. Are you listening? There is one love, one truth, one way to know. When you turn to the sun, all darkness must go. A voice, a voice calling in your wilderness.